Even the song we have just sung uh, tells the story of the Christian life. Um, and I hope you consider the lyrics of the songs we do sing here as oftentimes they teach us God's truth through song. Uh, we've heard Cal's testimony, why he has trusted in the Lord. And this message this morning uh, is entitled, Why Trust in the Lord? We are uh, working our way this morning uh, in this series, in this time, in the life of our church through a number of psalms. And this morning I invite you to open God's Word to Psalm 125 uh, as we are working our way through the psalms of ascents. Psalm 125, I pray it would be an encouragement to our hearts. And if you are not a Christian, if, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian, and you're not sure, or you are pretty sure you are not one, I hope you pay careful attention and consider why you should trust in the Lord. And if you are a Christian, and you have trusted in the Lord, I pray that the Lord would use this message this morning to encourage you, to refresh in you reasons why we together should continue to trust in the Lord. So let's listen to God's word this morning. Why trust in the Lord? Here's a word of the Lord, a song of a sense. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us and for our hearts. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear? Gracious Father, as we look at your word, as we have been reminded of your grace and mercy, and as we are being invited to trust in you and to be refreshed in why we should trust in you, would you help us in this hour? We have asked for your help earlier to sing thy grace. Now we ask for your help to hear of your grace in the preaching of your word. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory and honor. Amen. The theme of this, of this song or psalm is about the faith of God's people. As we read in verse 3, the faith of God's people was being challenged by the pressure of wickedness in the land and also by the lure and the traps 
of wickedness in the land. How should God's people specific historical situation to which this psalm speaks? It could be foreign invasion that brought the presence of wickedness in the land, such as at the time of the exile. Uh, but if we read the Old Testament from the beginning to the end, we realize that actually most of the wickedness that was in the land of the righteous was not because of the foreign invasion of pagans. It was because the leaders of God's people and the people of God at large were lured into idolatry, into practicing the very things God had forbidden them to practice. So Israel has often turned away from the ways of the Lord, turned to the practice of wickedness in their own land. So wickedness was often rampant in the land of the righteous, not because of foreign invasion from without, it was because of the inner lure from within. And the psalm is written for the people of God to encourage them how to live, how to respond, how to move forward when wickedness is still present in the land. It's written for the people of God really in all ages as they face the reality uh, of wickedness around them. And we should not assume that this wickedness is only among the pagans. That they are the only ones who are in the trap of wickedness. Uh, this psalm reminds us and challenges us to consider that even the people of God can fall back into the traps of wickedness. And if, if we want any recent reminder of that, just this last week, the reports that have been released coming out of the SBC are a sober reminder that those who bear the name of God can fall into grievous sin. The life of the people of God on this side of eternity is lived in a land where wickedness is present and where even God's people can fall back into it. And we need to be reminded, we need to be reminded how to live our lives as a people of God when we are surrounded by wickedness. The people of God are called to take the path of faith, the path of trusting in the Lord and continuing to trust in the Lord. So the message that this psalm gives us from the Old Testament, speaking to the people of God at that time, speaking about the people of God at that time, but really their message is for all the people of God at all times. The message of this psalm could be simply summarized in this way. Trusting in the Lord is worth it. Trusting in the Lord is worth it. When wickedness is around, when wickedness is rampant, even when the people of God may fall back into it, we are being reminded by the psalm 
trusting in the Lord, taking the path of, of relying on the Lord, the path of faith, the path of believing everything that God says, that path is worth it. And the answer, the question is, why? Why is it worth it? This psalm will give us four reasons why it is worth trusting in the Lord. Four reasons. Let me read them to you. Let me summarize them. And then we're going to work through this psalm and these four reasons. Trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings eternal stability and divine security. Trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings eternal stability and divine security. It's also worth it for a second reason, because it brings the future elimination of wickedness. Trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings the future elimination of wickedness. Third, trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings us the goodness of God. Trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings us the goodness of God. And finally, trusting in the Lord is worth it because the wavering will have no part in the peace of God's people. Because the wavering, those who turn aside, the wavering will have no part in the peace of God's people. Let's look at each of these and at the psalm. Trusting in the Lord is worth it because it brings eternal stability and divine security. We see this in verses 1 and 2 in the psalm. Those who trust in the Lord, that's how the psalm begins. In verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, which abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now these two verses have two illustrations, and both of them come from the land of Israel. And by the way, let me just mention here, in these Psalms of Ascent, we see the the land of Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem, mentioned several times. Mount Zion mentioned several times. And it would be easy for us to say, well, we're we're Christians. New Testament believers, how do these images appear or affect us? We must understand that these images were written in the Old Testament for the people of God, in the geography, in the the realm that God worked at that time to speak about spiritual realities for the people of God in all times, both Old Testament and New Testament times. So these images and these truths are for us as well because... What God did with his people in the Old Testament times was a foreshadowing of what God will do to them ultimately through Jesus. So here we see two images of Jerusalem, of the geography of Jerusalem, and of Mount Zion. What do these illustrations, what do these images portray? Well, first, the first image in verse 1 describes the effect of trusting in the Lord. What's the effect of trusting in the Lord? According to this image, those who trust in the Lord become like mountains. What does that mean? 
when you say to someone or to something, it is like a mountain. Well, it could be an image of grandness. That would be one purpose of the imagery. But in this particular case, the other purpose of the image is that mountains can't be moved. You can move around and shove around a pile of dirt. You can even use some excavators to move around a lot of debris, a lot of stuff. But you can't move mountains. They are immovable. And particularly, this psalm speaks about Mount Zion. Uh, it's, it's a mountain in the Bible that has been referenced often, both in the New Te Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Mount Zion is, uh, geographically speaking, the, the mount on which the city of Jerusalem has been built. But more importantly, uh, it's used throughout the Bible in various ways, with various spiritual significances. And that's what makes this mountain significant for us as Christians. For example, in the book of Isaiah, Mount Zion is a place where God dwelt with his people. It's a place where God reigns. It's a place where God came down to fight for his people. All these are pictures described in the book of Isaiah about Mount Zion. Also, if you keep working through the prophets, Mount Zion is the place that ended up lying desolate with jackals prowling over it when God took his people out of the land into exile. We see that in the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. In the New Testament, the reference to Mount Zion refers not to a physical location, like here, in a, like the physical mount in, in the nation of Israel. Mount Zion refers in the New Testament to the city of the living God, specifically the New Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, 22. And it also is the place where Jesus stands as the Lamb with 144,000 in the book of Revelation. So the city of, or the place, the, the, the Mount Zion, is a reference to a place that speaks not simply about a physical location, but it speaks about the place of God's dwelling with his people. And it points forward, the geographical references in the Old Testament point forward to the spiritual reality, the spiritual place uh, where God dwells with his people. As such, the mountain cannot be moved. And that's the point of the illustration. It's, it's a way of describing the stability of God's people. Those who trust in the Lord are like a mountain that you cannot shove around. You cannot push to and fro. They are stable. One Bible teacher put it this way. Some people are like the sand, ever shifting and treacherous. Matthew 7, 26. Some are like the sea, restless and unsettled, like James 1, 6. 
Some are like the wind, uncertain and inconstant, like Ephesians 4, 14. But believers are like a mountain, strong, stable, and secure. And as verse 1 ends, this mountain where God dwells with his people abides forever. This is a stability of God's people. This is the effect of trusting in the Lord. Why trusting the Lord? Because it brings this kind of eternal stability. But there's a second illustration of the effect that trusting in the Lord has. And the second illustration is in verse 2. And again in verse 2, mountains are being used. But this time, mountains are being used to describe not the believers, but to describe the Lord. In verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, the geography of the, of the physical city of Jerusalem, uh, it was not standing on the tallest mountain. Mount Zion was not the tallest mountain. It was surrounded by other mountains around it. And this made it very difficult for those who attacked the city to attack it. Before they could get to the city of Jerusalem, they had to cross over the mountains. They had to go through the peaks. They had to go through the challenges of getting through the mountains. And that's the point of the illustration here. This psalm compares God to the mountains that surround Jerusalem. In other words, those who trust in the Lord have a natural security wall around them. Uh, these days in the world of financial markets and uh, electronics, we realize that we need security not simply physically, but we need electronic security, financial security, where your, even your identity is protected so it's not stolen and people can use your identities to steal stuff. Uh, some of us work in companies that provide cybersecurity to make sure that the data in your company's database is, is uh, stored securely. The point is that data these days must be secure. And here what the, what the psalmist provides us with is a picture that those who trust in the Lord have a natural security around them. It surrounds them. Like mountains surrounding Jerusalem. And that security, that spiritual security, is the Lord himself. I love how one Bible teacher put it so beautifully. To get at Jerusalem, an enemy had to get past the mountains. To get at God's people, an enemy must first get past God. Let that sink in, dear believers. 
brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, hear this word of protection for any enemy or danger to get to you, it must first pass through God's protection. And what that means is that if the Lord allows it, you know that you're still in God's hands in the middle of it. That you work through those dangers and through those trials and those difficulties knowing that none of it has come to you somehow because there is a breach of security with God. <laughs> there is never a breach of security with God. If the Lord allows the difficulty or the danger, it's because the Lord has a purpose. The Lord knows what he is doing. We may not know. We may not feel it in the moment, but the Lord does. So friend, for those who trust in the Lord, any harm or difficulty or challenge that comes our way, remember, it first passes through the Lord. And the Lord provides, and provides a shield from anything that he finds it okay not to come to us. If God's people can remember this reality, when difficulties, when challenges, when dangers come our way, when fears and anxieties assault us, that we are being surrounded by the Lord as our security wall. Friends, only those who put their trust in the Lord benefit from this divine security. Those who just call themselves Christians but have not actually put their trust in the Lord do not get the security. Those who do some religious stuff but have not actually placed their trust in the Lord do not get this divine security. So let me ask you, have you put your trust in the Lord? Are you putting your trust in the Lord? Because our eternal security, our eternal stability comes only as the effect of the act of trusting in the Lord. Friends, trusting in the Lord or placing our trust in the Lord is the biblical definition of having faith in God. Believing in God means not simply believing that he exists as our brother now, as we may call him, Cal, reminded us of the French philosopher Blaise Pascal. It's not simply that you believe God exists. That's not the definition of faith, biblically speaking. Even demons believe that kind of way. Having faith in God in a biblical sense is the act of relying on the Lord, of putting our trust in the Lord. Having knowledge about God is not the same thing as trusting God. And think about it, even for us who are Christians, who are already in a relationship with the Lord, this psalm challenges us 
not to be satisfied simply with a status of a relationship. Husbands and wives, you know those moments when one of you do something that really disappoints the other and actually hurts the relationship in a pretty significant way. When a husband and wife go through particularly deep, troubling times, one of the areas that is quickly affected is mutual trust. Trusting the other becomes difficult. And the reality is, even when that trust is corroded and difficult to exercise, the relationship is still there. You're still husband and wife. But the relationship gets cold, distant, and difficult. Keeping things at a distance. It's possible, I wonder, if some of us are struggling with that corroded trust with the Lord. If we don't cultivate our trust in the Lord, our relationship with the Lord can become cold, superficial, guarded. So the question is, are you continuing to trust in the Lord? This psalm gives us the first reason why we should continue to cultivate trusting in the Lord. Because it brings us the eternal stability and the divine security that only the Lord can bring to those who trust in Him. A second reason why we should trust in the Lord is because of the future elimination of wickedness. The future elimination of wickedness. Look at verse 3. After describing the first benefits of trusting in the Lord, verse 3 moves to give a promise. Another promise. This time, it speaks about the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hand to do wrong. This is both a, a glorious promise but also a sober promise. There's a, there's a glorious facet to this verse, and there's a sober facet to this verse. The glorious promise uh, is that this psalm speaks about a future time. It's in the future when the land of the righteous will be freed from the scepter of wickedness, which is a picture for the reign of wickedness. Spurgeon said it beautifully, the saints abide forever but their troubles do not friends that time is still in the future for us now a time when the righteous will live in a new heaven and a new earth in which evil will be no more no longer a threat no longer a temptation to God's people but until that future time comes Here's a sober promise. Here's a sober facet of this promise. It reminds us that if, if wickedness would actually stay around the land of the living and of the righteous, the righteous would succumb to do it. The righteous would fall back into doing wrong. Did you catch the 
the phrase, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. This is a sober reality of this verse. Left to ourselves in the, in the land of the righteous, with wickedness all around us, we would be tempted daily to give our hands to do wrong. With the hymn, rhyme, uh, hymn writer of the song we have sung earlier before the sermon, Come Thou Found, we agree with the, with the words of the, of the last stanza. Lord, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But that song ends with this promise that a time will come in the future when we will be fully freed from sinning. But that time is not yet here. So trusting in the Lord is worth it because it will bring the future elimination of wickedness from the land of the righteous. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John sees a vision of the new Jerusalem. And he says this about the new city of Jerusalem, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friend, if you are a Christian, let this verse fuel your heart, both with hope and with soberness. As you fight sin, don't despair. When you are being accused that you've done it again. God has written the verdict on wickedness. Wickedness in the land of the righteous has a limited shelf life. A time will come when it will be no more. So as you fight sin in your life, in your relationships, as you keep fighting the temptations to give in to sin, keep fighting with the hope that the end of wickedness shall come. It will be gone. But also fight with a soberness that as long as we live in this world of wickedness, our hearts and minds can be lured, are lured, and can be giving back, going back into wickedness and sin. And you should not be at peace with that. Continue to fight it. But let this fight against it be fueled by trust in the Lord. Faith in the Lord, putting your trust in the Lord, will fuel your heart to keep battling with hope and with soberness. That's the second effect of putting your trust in the Lord. The third effect, the third reason why we should continue to put our faith and trust in the Lord is because the goodness of God will be towards the upright. The goodness of God will be towards the upright. Look at the, pr the prayer that the psalmist uh, closes with in verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, we, we see both a positive and a contrast, a negative. And the, the point 3 is about the positive. The prayer that the psalmist prays for in verse 4, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Now, 
who, who are the good in this verse? Is this a sort of works-based salvation in which God helps those who help themselves? No, not at all. Is this verse speaking about those who live sinless or perfect lives? No, that's not what it's talking about either. In this particular text, those who are good are not referring to those who are perfect or flawless. In that sense, if that was the definition, no one is good. Not even one. Only Jesus, the Lord Jesus, would be in that category of perfect good. But in this particular verse, in this particular psalm, the nuance of the good, those who are good, is defined in the very same verse. Those who are upright in their hearts. Those who are good refers to those who not simply act good in their behavior. It speaks about the goodness that affects the heart. Being upright in heart is not a condition of the heart that we are born with. None of us are upright in heart in that sense. None of us are upright in heart as a natural condition. In order to become upright in the heart, we need the Spirit of God to work in us. The goodness and the rightness of heart becomes ours only as we place our trust in God. That's why I so appreciate it in Cal's testimony, how he spoke about the effect of placing his faith in Jesus is that through that, the heart is changed. The heart is made pure. And he holds on to the promise that those who are pure in heart shall see God. But do you remember that even going back to the Old Testament, what made the, the first patriarch righteous was not that he acted. He did good behavior. In Genesis 15, 6, we are told how the first patriarch was counted righteous. The author of Genesis says about Abraham, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, even in the Old Testament, what made someone righteous was actually the act of believing what God said taking God at his word. Therefore, no wonder that this psalm starts with those who trust in the Lord. And then here in verse 4, we hear that they are described as the upright in heart. Oh, friends, even in the Old Testament, God never intended the righteousness of his people to be only an external reality. Those who are good are those who are upright in the heart and that means trusting in the Lord. Our oh, friends, the only way for any of us can fully experience the goodness of God is if we put our entire trust in the Lord. This is why it's worth trusting in the Lord. Because the goodness of God is experienced by those who put their trust in the Lord. Last week after the sermon... Uh, we were talking about those who find their help in the Lord. One of the members at the end of the service, uh, as we were uh, walking away from this place, she mentioned how during the week, 
unbeknownst to what was coming up in the service, uh, the reading of, Saul, of uh, Romans 8, she just happened to be reading Romans 8. And the one particular verse that the Lord ingrained and itched in her heart was Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His promise. Oh friends, this is why we must continue to put our trust in the Lord. As we rely on His Word, as we rely on His redemption, as we rely on His character, as we rely on His promises, we know that those whom the Lord has put His seal on, no matter what happens, the Lord will work everything, everything to work together for their good. One pastor put it beautifully, God works all things, not some things, not most things, but all things together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. So why, why is trusting in the Lord worth it? Because it brings eternal stability and divine security, because it brings a future elimination of wickedness, because it brings us the goodness of God. And while these positives are stated so clearly in these verses, there is a last reason why we should keep trusting in the Lord, but this last reason is stated as a warning, as a caution. And the caution is, and this is the fourth reason why we should trust in the Lord, because the wavering will have no part in the peace of God's people. The wavering will have no part in the peace of God's people. Look at verse 5. And this is a warning. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. This is the opposite of trusting in the Lord. If the, if the psalm started with, the, with those who trust in the Lord, now we hear a warning to those who living in the land of, of wickedness would actually be lured to turn aside. This warning is not given to the evildoers, to the pagans. This warning is to those who would turn aside. And this is the opposite of trusting in the Lord. Where does the path of turning aside lead? it leads to the same destiny as the evildoers. In other words, in turning aside from trusting in the Lord, the Lord will lead them away. This is God's verdict. Away from my presence. Away from the goodness of God. Away from Mount Zion where God dwells with his people. Away from the eternal security and eternal stability Away, away. And the hard part of this warning is that the Lord will be involved in that leading away.
This means that if we keep turning away from the Lord and continue the path of rejecting him, the Lord himself is still in charge of the destiny of those who turn against him. And he will lead them away. And the force of this verse becomes apparent when we remember the context. The context is that God's people are living at the present time in the land of the wicked. In the, in the land of wickedness around them. So lured by wickedness, seeing rampant evil and examples of wickedness around them. The question is, will God's people give in to the pressures? Will they choose to turn aside to their crooked ways? Will they side with their sin against God? If so, the psalm ends with a warning of what will happen to those who turn aside from the Lord. The Lord will lead them away to the same destiny as evildoers. Friends, this is why the reality and the presence of church discipline makes sense because the Lord has entrusted his people to give a dress rehearsal for God's final judgment. It is a real warning that someone who carries the name of God, if they turn aside to their crooked ways and persist in them, their destiny with, will be with the evildoers. And the Lord will be involved in that process. It's not pleasant to give such a warning, but it's good for our souls to hear it afresh so that we may not turn aside, so that we may continue to turn to the Lord and keep trusting in the Lord. And when we do fall back, when we do slip up, when we do fall in the lure of sin, that we would turn away from it and turn back to the Lord. Friends, this verse, though it's filled with a warning, with a caution, with a severity that the Lord is involved, even with those who turn away from him, he's just involved to the opposite destiny. This verse, nevertheless, ends on a sweet note. And the sweet note is, peace be upon Israel. That's how verse 5 ends. Now, the reference to Israel here does not and should not be taken to be limited only to the ethnic nation of Israel. Understanding this verse in the Old Testament covenant of the people of God, the name Israel is a name referred to the people of God. As we get to the New Testament, that name is attributed and used to speak of the church. The Apostle Paul does that in Galatians. He closes the book of Galatians with the following blessing, warning and blessing. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's the church. So we can understand this blessing, peace be upon Israel, to be foreshadowing the reality of the people of God who put their faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles joined together in one flock under one shepherd 
And the blessing that this song gives to the people of God is peace. Well, friends, this psalm ends on the same words where it started. Those who trust in the Lord experience eternal stability and divine security. And that stability and security is only through God, through trusting in Him. May that peace be ours today. But I want to pray and I, I, I want to remind you and I pray that the message of this psalm would stir your heart. That if you're not a believer, you would consider putting your faith and trust in Jesus, our Redeemer. Turn to Him. Let the Word of God that is being spoken, whether it's here or in other churches or on the radio as, as the Word of God is preached by pastors on the radio or, or on the internet, let the Word of God ring true in your heart. Believe it. Trust in it. As a story of Cal's salvation, as a story of how God worked in Cal's life over the years, just hearing the Word of God, paying attention to the questions, not dismissing them, digging in, searching for answers, and coming to a place of entrusting yourself to the Word of God, the God of grace. That is the, that is the call that this, this psalm gives to us. Those who trust in the Lord receive the eternal stability and the divine security that comes only through God. But for those of us who are believers, let us continue. Let us continue in that trust. This psalm tells us why trusting in the Lord is worth it. Because it brings eternal stability and divine security. Because it brings a future elimination of wickedness. Because it brings us the goodness of God because the wavering will have no part in the peace of God's people. I love how one of the reformers said it beautifully. And I close with this, these words. Whoever then desires to be sustained by the hand of God, let him constantly lean upon it. And whoever would be defended by it, let him patiently repose himself under it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the blessing that you give us through this psalm to remind us, your people, of the amazing benefits that you give to those, to all those who put their trust in you. Father, would you work that trust would you grant us that trust? Would you work it in our hearts so that we may lean upon you, so that we may lean upon Jesus, so we may lean upon the Holy Spirit? Oh, Father, we pray that the fellowship that we have because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that that fellowship would be ours today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.